Well, I think I probably should start with an apology because I hate to interrupt what's going on up here. That is awesome. And it's not just quality, it's not just, it's not a performance, it's worship, and it leads us to a place where we have opportunity to worship God and see Him in a different way. And music and art, especially for a lot of people, is such a stronger connection than content and speech. And I, I, so I apologize, you're going to have to listen to me instead of getting to hear them some more. If they were ready, I'd just let them keep going, but... And that's, I don't say that. I, I, I say that somewhat humorously, but, but also in reality. Um, that's just fantastic worship. So thank you guys so much. Do you guys appreciate them? There's always this thing about do we clap for people or do we not? Is it a performance? And, you know, clapping is one of those ways that we say, you know, we appreciate where you take us, how you help us get somewhere. Let's pray. God, help us today as we have a few moments together to talk, to let us hear some things, maybe each of us in a different way than another, but help us to find something that connects with us uh, through your message, through this challenge to uh, be the kind of people that you have called us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you think of when you think of the word kindness? A little feedback there. See, Josh is going to be really kind and take care of that. What do you think of with kindness? You know, smiling at somebody as you pass by them, picking up something for somebody who's dropped it, grabbing that thing off the top shelf in the grocery store that others can't reach, or well, maybe that's just a handful of us that live that life, but we get that often if we're tall. You know, there are many acts like that that are acts of kindness, things that we do for others that makes their day just a little bit better. And that's what I had in mind when I began to think about a message on kindness. This came several weeks ago. I was thinking ahead to when I'm speaking in, in July, and I thought, uh, you know, just, well, there's a variety of things going on that kind of led to me thinking about this idea of kindness. And, and for one, I just don't think we're, as a people, as kind as we need to be or should be and so these simple little things are things that I like doing. So I thought, we need to talk about those. But I realized that these kind of acts, the ones I've mentioned, are what I would call transactional kindness. It's those things we do for somebody else, and then that's just kind of it. Nothing wrong with that. Those are vital. Those are very important. And you know, there's, there's some simple ways you can do that. You know, just bringing a smile to a stranger's face, saying something to a worker who's just, you know, mired in the everyday mundane parts of their jobs, just to say something encouraging to somebody that's hurting. You know, in our scripture today, the first part says, therefore, have, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you're receiving, if you had any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, if you're receiving those things, then make my joy complete and being like-minded, having the same kind of love. In other words, share what you're receiving with others. Show kindness to others, even as God shows kindness to you. Well, first of all, I do silly things, but um, one of the things, especially when I'm down, 
that I've discovered over the years is that one of the ways, and this isn't, you know, like, you know, blow your mind kind of stuff, but one of the ways we change ourselves and the way we feel is by helping others. And really, the true genesis of, of the idea of this message happened at a hardware store a few weeks ago. I was just kind of roaming the, hall, the, the hallways there, the aisles, and thinking just, you know, just, I don't know, just wasn't feeling great emotionally. And I thought, you know, this, this is silly. I don't need to feel this way. And I'm ignoring all the people around me. And I made a challenge to myself. I said, before I leave this store, I'm going to make five people smile. I hope that doesn't sound creepy, but it, it wasn't. But, you know, as you walk down the aisle, sometimes you make eye contact with people. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you try and they just move on. But then you have those moments where you make eye contact with somebody and you smile and they can't help but smile back. Now, I don't know if anybody noticed that through the day, but I did. And, and it meant something to me because I was being intentional about trying to brighten up somebody else's day. Well, showing that kind of kindness to others is really not difficult, and it takes very little time out of our day. But I think it's important. You know, I was talking to my wife about this message a couple of weeks ago, and I told her a couple of stories like that. And, and um, she said, I said, you know, just that quick conversation with somebody, uh, just any kind of, of like random act of kindness. And she said, yeah, you know, that's easy for you. It's a part of your personality. What she was also saying is that she can't do that. I said, you're right. You can't. We've got to be truthful with our spouses, right? <laughs> no, what I said to her is, you can't because that's not your personality. But you have a different type of personality. And I reminded her of a couple of stories. Uh, the first was she got up, or she was on, at work one day, and I don't know why she was on Facebook. She was working, she said. But um, a friend of hers had posted that her daughter was having a lemonade stand. My wife got up from her desk, got in her car, and drove quite a ways to buy a little cup of lemonade from this girl. Later, she got a message from the mom just saying, thank you so much. That meant the world to her that you came here, and that meant a lot to me. I said, that's showing kindness. And we had a, or a graduation party for my daughter a few weeks ago, and one of my wife's employees was there with her two little girls. And every time I'd look over, Tammy would be on the ground playing some kind of yard game with one of the girls. And then a couple weeks later, Tammy gets a call from her employee, and she said, I know this is going to sound a little weird, but my daughter's eighth birthday party is coming up. And she asked me today, she said, Mom, is it okay if we invite one more person to the party? And her mom's like, well, I think we've invited all your friends, but who is it? Well, I want to invite Miss Tammy. <laughs> See, that's kindness when you take time to spend time with others. And we all can do that, but in our own way. And, you know, I've mentioned that that's a relational, or I mean, excuse me, a transactional kind of kindness. But when we go deeper with kindness, and that's really what Tammy did, she didn't just do something nice for this girl, but the girl recognized it and wanted to do something back. That's when we move into relational kindness. That takes it just a step further. You know, this one's more meaningful, but it also requires more time. And while I think I'm pretty good and try to be intentional about transactional types of kindness, I'm not nearly as good at the relational kindness. In relational kindness, we move into a space where we are actively receiving from the other person as well, where our investment goes deeper than just our initial action. You know, some of you may know what I'm talking about when I say this. Some of you may know it very well, but 
there's oftentimes that people feel invisible. Even in the midst of crowds, they feel invisible. Like nobody around them sees them. You know, there's an, an interesting experiment, this, these two folks. They're really artists, but they did this whole thing on kindness. And one of the experiments was this. They um, got up in the morning and they put their picture on a poster. And on top of the poster it said, missing person, call, and they gave their phone number. And they put these on light poles and street lamps and things like that all around the area that they were going to be sitting in, this large city. And so anybody that got to them would have had to have passed several of these posters. So right by one of the posters, just a few feet away, they were sitting on the ground, dressed exactly. One, the guy on the day he did had a hat on, had the exact same hat, same clothes. And he sat there the entire day. And people came by, they'd take pictures sometimes of the, uh, of, the pic, of the photo, you know, the poster, I guess, so later they saw the person or whatever. But he sat there an entire day. The next day, she did the same thing, and not one person noticed them. They say, okay, and people are busy or whatever, but they had, did a third experiment. On the third day, they brought their puppy, and they tied their puppy up in the same spot they had set, right across from a poster with posters everywhere else. And they had to shut the, the experiment down in 20 minutes because they got so many calls and so many people were going out of their way to buy food and bring water to this dog. And now, I, I, I love animals. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be kind to animals, but think about that. In 20 minutes, it got more notice than two people all day. It is so easy to miss people. And see, what turns transactional kindness into relational kindness? Well, it could be many things, but one of the simplest is just finding out the person's name, just noticing that somebody has a need. You know, I use this example uh, several times, and I'll continue to use it because I think it's so important, and I want to remind you of it, but it can extend beyond this, but on, on mission trips in the past, a lot of times we'd work with the homeless. And one of the things that we were always encouraged and always encouraged our students to do is don't just give them something. We usually had something, you know, a gift card or, you know, some kind of uh, you know, deodorant or toothpaste or something to give to them. But I said, don't just give them something. Talk to them. Find out their name. Tell them your name. Find out something about them. Humanize them. Turn them from, from invisible to visible. Think about the times you go to the grocery store, especially if it's a store you don't uh, ordinarily go to. And, and you, you, have a, you go through the checkout line, you know, how you doing? Fine, thank you, blah, blah, blah. Or you go to a convenience store and you get your drink or your snack and you leave. How often an hour later could you describe in any detail at all the person who served you there? Some of you may do that very well. For a lot of us, they're invisible. We've had a transaction, but we've had no connection. Now, I'm not saying every time you go to a store, you have to have a long conversation, but go above and beyond. How's your day? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for getting up at five o'clock so you could be here at six o'clock to have my coffee ready so I could drink that on the way to work. Begin to connect with people. The next part of our scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests 
of others. That's being relational with people. I told you I'm pretty good at the first. The second, not so good all the time. In fact, we, my wife and I were out to eat, and we ran into the neighbors right next door to us the other day. And uh, they asked us if we had talked to the neighbors on the other side recently. Well, we'd had some conversations, but what had happened a few months ago is one of them had had a stroke and was in the hospital for a long time. And when they came back home, you know, several neighbors brought food and checked on them. But at least the two neighbors that I was, we were talking to and ourselves, we've asked, how are, they, you know, how are they doing? But we really haven't gone out of our way to show kindness. To, to, you know, what's it take a little extra food to share with them? Uh, what can we do for you in your home? Because it takes time. It's turning the transactional into relational. You know, it, it takes work to do that. And I want to tell you, looking around this room, there are several of you that I know are already very good at this. We've received the blessings of your kindness. My family, and I've seen you do it for others. And I just want to say, keep it up. For those of us who struggle, we need to continue to work at it, to be better at it, to be intentional about it. Well, that's kind of where I got to, and you might be happy if I just ended this message right now. But I thought, that is really not the message. And, you know, I kept reading about kindness in the Bible, and I, I kept kind of thinking, What's, what else is there? What am I missing? And this week, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I came across this word. And it's a Jewish word. And it's, it's well, I said, I can't say it very well. And I am no Hebrew scholar by any means. I'm like you, I Google it. <laughs> but when I saw the concept and when I started reading about it, this word means kindness, mercy, compassion, grace, love, loving kindness. And it's used almost 250 times in the Bible. And it's a depth of love that you only know when you experience it. You know, transactional is, is this one-way kind of act. Relational goes back and forth. This becomes almost circular because it involves God or the Holy Spirit in this connection between you and someone else. When I read that word and started reading the depth of it, I, literally, I got overwhelmed. I thought, how can I share with a group of people in a few minutes the depth of this word. And I can't. But I'm going to give you what I have. And I'm going to encourage you to continue to look at that. It appears in, in story after story in the Old Testament. Many of the stories you've heard over and over, some of them may be new. But the word shows up there again and again. Like I say, almost 250 times in the Old Testament. It has the power to change relationships. When it's given, it can heal relationships. When it's withheld, it destroys them. When it's given, it's been able to bring nations together and avoid war. And when it's withheld, it's created wars. I wish so much we could go through all those stories, at least several of them. But I'm going to use one. And it's the story of Ruth. Ruth is this little story, this love story, uh, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. And some of you may have done a deep dive into Ruth. Some of you may have never read it. 
But I want to give you just a little glimpse into it. And there's so many different angles to Ruth, but I really want to focus in on this idea of loving kindness. A kindness that comes from God that goes deeper than we could ever imagine. Ruth chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, so just right off, just the setting is this. It's the judges were like the, the, the rulers and the leaders who would rise up when the Jews needed somebody to help them find their way. And that happened just before the time of the kings. So Ruth was written sometime after kings, after David. And it was a look back reminding the Jews of God's loving kindness for them. The day the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and they had two sons. So they're living in Bethlehem, and, and, and there's a famine, no food. Well, here's the little thing I love about uh, writers of the Old Testament. If, if you, these are the easy things to miss, but Bethlehem means city of bread. So its name implies food, yet that's where the famine is. That's the setting the author chose. So they leave to go to Moab, and, and Moab, is, they've had a very... Um, a difficult, complicated relationship with the Israelites over the centuries. But they heard that there was food there, and so that's where they went. But while they were there, Naomi's husband died. Her two sons got married, but then they died. So it was just her and her daughter-in-laws. Well, she heard that the famine was over in Israel, and, and she wanted to return. Well, one of her daughter-in-laws decided to stay in Moab, but the other, Ruth, said, I'm going to go home with you. I'm going to travel with you back to your people. And so in verse 19, we read this. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Naomi was well-known, well-loved in the city. But she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. She said, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She was not happy with God. She says this, it's kind of interesting. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, why did she leave in the first place? Because her stomach was empty, right? And she went to a place where it could be filled. But what she's saying is there's something far beyond the, the, those little tangible things of the world that show importance. In fact, there's nothing more important than family. And in those times, to be a widow, well, all through the Bible says, the way I'll know that you're Christians, the way you can show your love for me is by the way you care for widows and orphans. Because a widow had no one to take care of them in their old age. She went away full. No food, but family. She's come back empty, food, but no family. And she's bitter about it. She's hurting. Well, she sent um, Ruth out to glean for some food. If you know what gleaning is, it's, it's that the harvest takes place. It's people coming behind to pick up, the poor people come picking up whatever's left over. And that's what they make their food off of. And, and, and she picked this random field, but the guy who owned it, his name was Boaz, and Boaz noticed her, asked who she was, found out she was Naomi's daughter-in-law, and come to find out, Boaz and Naomi are, are family. So he told his workers, don't cut all the fields, and even of the fields you cut, some of the stalks 
take some of the food out and leave it behind. So in chapter 2, we read, So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the, she threshed the barley she'd gathered, and it amounted to an ephah, which is like 30 pounds of grain. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law uh, saw how much she had gathered. And Ruth has also brought out and gave her all that was left over as well. And her mother-in-law asked, where'd you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And, Bo and Naomi says, the Lord bless him. The Lord show loving kindness on this man. He has not stopped showing his kindness. God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. Their family, right? Her family, part of it is dead. Boaz, through a random showing up of a, in a field, Boaz sends extra food. Naomi recognizes that even though the rest of the family is dead, Boaz is still showing favor to him. Thanks be to God. Spoiler alert. Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a son. You see, Naomi left Bethlehem empty, looking to be filled in Moab. She had no food, but went to a place where she did. But upon return, she realized that her fullness was in Bethlehem and her emptiness started in Moab. She was bitter, angry with God. But when she came back, God provided not only food, but Boaz and Ruth had a, had a son named Obed. The women were so excited. They said this, praise be to the Lord who this day has sought, who has not left you without a guardian redeemer. That means even in her old age, she'll have what amounts in her life to a grandson to take care of her. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. That's encouraging, isn't it? That's what she needed. And that's what they're affirming. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. She is once again full. And her words, praise be to the Lord. She was excited about what God was doing once again. Now, don't get me wrong. She was bitter. She was angry with God. But even in the midst of her anger, she said, the Lord bless Boaz for what he's done. You know, those two things don't have to be one or the other. They can coexist. We have times in our life where we don't understand what God is doing. There are times where we may be angry with God, upset about where our life is at, yet in the midst of it, we still recognize his kindness and his love. The Israelites did that over and over and over. They would rebel against God, and in loving kindness, he would discipline them. And when he did, they would see what they had done wrong. They were angry with him, 
but they would return back to him because they knew that he loved them. They would repent and he would restore them. Loving kindness has the power to restore us, to restore relationships. Ruth ends with a genealogy. You see, Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, who became the king of Israel, who ultimately, again, was a part of the line of Jesus. Now we go back and read what those women said again. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Those words were not just for Naomi. Those words for all of us. Because that's what God's loving kindness does. Even in the midst of bitterness, the midst of hurt, the midst of feeling empty, God's loving kindness is so deep that it can change our future. It can change our world. We see it in the kindness of Ruth. We see it in the kindness of her family, and we see it in the kindness of God, the renewal and sustenance of life. Now, this story was written to remind the Israelites who had been sent off once again into slavery in Babylon because, uh, because of their, their rebellion against God. But it reminded them that even in the rebellion, God loves them, and he always will, even when you don't recognize it. And he will bring you to repentance and to restoration because of the chesed, the loving kindness of God. You know what? That's true in our life. Have you ever been really angry with somebody? Have you ever been really hurt by somebody? A spouse, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a coworker, somebody in your life that you trust that really hurts you and you're bitter, and you're angry. Did you know that kindness can still exist in that relationship in the midst of that? In fact, I would tell you it is vital that you continue in those relationships to show kindness. I know that can get complicated. I don't want to work through all that. But the idea is, even when we're hurt, we can still show kindness to the people around us and to those who hurt us. And it has the power to heal those relationships. Paul said it this way, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. You know, sometimes we get so angry. We might read that but we don't care. We still want to get angry. It feeds us. We want to show malice. We want to talk about the person who's hurt us. But Paul says, here's what will heal it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God showed you loving kindness, the kind of kindness that goes beyond just me to you or between us but involves the loving kindness of God, which is a healing and restoring and renewal of life kind of love. Let us pray. God, help us.
even when it's difficult to show kindness to others. Whether it's a smile, a hand out, or a hand up, a moment of conversation and getting to know them a little bit, or whether it's showing the same kind of deep loving kindness that you've showed to us. Let us always be intentional about practicing kindness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, really the ultimate act of kindness was what Jesus did for us. He had every right to be bitter and angry. He was treated horribly, even by the religious leaders. And even us knowing what he did for us, we still rebel against him. Yet his loving kindness is right there. And we're reminded of it in his death and his resurrection. And I think it's appropriate on a day like this that we share in communion. Blessed are you, our Alpha and Omega, whose strong and loving arms encompass the universe. For with the eternal word and Holy Spirit, you are forever one God. Through your word, you created all things and called them good. And in, you, and in you, we live and we move and we have our being. When we, when we fell into sin, you did not desert us. You made a covenant with the people of Israel and you spoke through the prophets and the teachers. And in Jesus Christ, your word, he became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth and loving kindness. And so with your people on earth and with all the company in heaven, we praise your name. And we're reminded that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The power and the might of heaven and earth that's full of his glory. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Holy and blessed is Jesus Christ, who tenderly, like a mother, cares for us. Who embraces us as his own and fills us with his longing for peace that will last and for justice that will never fail. In Jesus' suffering and death, we look upon ourselves and our own sin and destroy their power forever. Isn't that an awesome thought? We can destroy the power of sin in our life because of the power of Christ on the cross.